It is good to see you this morning in God's house, church. Isn't it good to be in God's presence, the presence of God's people? And we are celebrating today. And today specifically, we're going to be celebrating a tremendous milestone as we continue to make our way beyond the pandemic and prepare for our return into the sanctuary. Uh, We have a lot of good news to report this morning, if that's all right. Um, You all have been hearing that we set a goal of raising $100,000, as Brother Mario mentioned just a moment ago, for our Nehemiah Project campaign to prepare the sanctuary for our return. And uh, and so um, you probably have heard at this point that we have exceeded our goal. Praise the Lord. And raised over $120,000 directly for the Nehemiah Project, which is a blessing. Uh, Pretty soon we're going to be diving into a new series where we're going to be talking about community engagement and what it means for us to be invested in the various communities that God has sent us. How many of us know that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person, right? And it goes beyond the, the, the corners of this property. In fact, this property represents... HQ. This property represents training grounds. This is where we come together to receive what God has placed on our heart, and then we are sent out of here, right? Onto every, we, we head, head down Torrance Boulevard, we head down Main Street, we head down Figueroa, we head up the 110, 91, 405, you name it, whatever it took for us to get here to church. We head back those, those same channels to go to the various communities that we represent to be a blessing where God has placed us. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, you are salt of the earth. What does salt do? Salt keeps things from going bad, and it adds flavor. So guess what? You, as the body of Christ, get to bring flavor to every environment you're in, and you get to help preserve those environments for the glory of God. But I want to dig a little deeper into the why of the church. Is that okay? Because I think in 2021 especially now that we've had the pandemic and we have been forced to go online, there are a lot of folks who are wondering, well, do I really need to be part of a, 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 like a physical church anymore now that I could go on YouTube or Facebook and tap into churches all over the country and, and hear, you know, televangelists preaching and, and the, the best, you know, worship teams that have, you know, 20 people up there, professional musicians, and they're putting on an amazing show. Do we really need to actually be part of a physical church congregation now that we have access to all of these other different worship experiences just by turning on our computer or our cell phone or our iPad? So I'm asking that question because I know a lot of people think it. Some of us in here think it. Some who are online are thinking that. Others who who are not even yet part of our congregation are are thinking that question because it really does force us to ask that and and go a little bit deeper. Why? What's the significance, right? What's the significance of of coming together? So if you have your Bible, please go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 42 to 47. We're going to start with the Acts church, and then we're going to backtrack a little bit into where the development of the church has come from, biblically, okay? And then after we establish a biblical foundation, then I'm going to get into practical reasons as to why it's important to be part of a church community, right? Is everybody with me? Yeah. 
Okay, verse 42, Acts chapter 2, says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So as you can see here, this is the establishment of the first church, the Acts church, this, this moment where after Jesus, you know, Acts chapter 1 and 2 is essentially immediately following the, the moment where Jesus was crucified and he rose again from the dead and he ascended and he told them, go and wait. And so we, we just, uh, just uh, celebrated Pentecost Sunday, which was the beginning of Acts chapter 2, where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? And, 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 and then the end of Acts chapter 2 is essentially saying God is doing something Therefore, they began to come together. They began to organize themselves. They began to commit themselves to an ongoing experience. Somebody say ongoing experience of the presence of God. You see, Acts chapter 2 at the beginning was when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. It was a powerful moment. It was transformative. They were excited, but that was an experience. And how many of us know that we cannot live our spiritual lives going from one experience to the next, but at some point we need to turn it into spiritual maturity and discipline? I know some people who are like, oh man, that was such a great spiritual high over there at the upper room. How can I get that again? How can I get those goosebumps again? How can I cry those tears again? And every once in a while, we have to say, the tears are great, the goosebumps were awesome, the feeling was wonderful, but something's even better than a feeling is commitment. That's the same thing in relationships, same thing at our work. Some of us said, man, I lost passion for my job a long time ago. Okay, are you providing for your family? Yes, I am. All right, well, learn how to re-get your passion or get another job because you're doing what you need to do. And some days you wake up in the morning, you might not feel like doing it, but guess what a mature person does? They go and do it anyway. An immature person says, oh, let me look for a new thing. And all of a sudden on their resume, they got 12 jobs in, in one year. Why? Because they lost passion for it. Well, guess what? Passion only gets you so far. Commitment and discipline will take you the rest of the way. So as a people of God, we want to be the kind of people that we get excited about what God's doing in us. But even if you don't feel excited, guess what? You do it anyway. Right? You do it anyway. Why? Because God is at work in us, and we're not trying to go from one experience to the next. We're just trying to be faithful to who God has called us to be, where God has called us to be, whether or not we're feeling it on that particular day. Is that all right? If anybody got offended by that, good. We got tissue for you. Okay. Is that okay? Is it all right to talk like that? Am I, am I going to get in trouble or, or you know, is somebody going to start saying, you know, they, man, they... They, 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 
They, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't just make you feel good at Mission Ebenezer Family Church, man. We got to find another church where all they do is make you feel good. We, we, we let the Lord do both, right? Let the Lord do both. Okay, so we want to be spiritually mature. So, so what happens at the end of Acts chapter 2 is sealing what happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Right? Acts chapter 2 at the beginning was exciting. Acts chapter 2 is the, at the ending was a commitment. Whether or not it's exciting all the time. So they got together, they studied the word of God, they prayed, they broke bread together, they fellowship with one another, they looked out for each other. If anybody had a need, they tried to fill that need. They said they met together daily, right? And they had this commitment, they had this connection, they had community. They came together to establish the work of God in their lives so that it wasn't just a, a Friday night experience or a Sunday night revival experience, but now it became a lifestyle, and the thing about the, the body of Christ, the, 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 what God is calling us to together as the body of Christ is that we're, we're called to continue on this tradition that was started 2,000 years ago where the believers can do exact. Isn't that cool how we could read the Bible, Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, and every single thing that I just read that they did on that day, we've already done this morning? Right? I'll give you an example really quickly. If you don't believe me, let me walk it through. It says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Aren't we studying the word together? Don't call me an apostle, though. All right? I'm a pastor. There's a difference there. Some of you may say, what's the difference? The biblical theological definition of an apostle is someone who actually spent physical time with Jesus. So some of you might say, well, how did they call that other person down the street an apostle? And it's because they use a different definition of apostle where we at Mission Ebenezer respect the biblical definition that an apostle is one of the disciples or Paul, and that's it. There weren't any more apostles after that. The reason why we know that is because 150 or 200 years later at the Council of Nicaea, when they decided upon these books of the Bible that became what we call the canon, they, they, they relied upon this one fact in order to determine whether or not it fits within here because there were lots of other writings that didn't make it in this good book that we have. Right. And, the, and the, one of the criterion that they use to determine what what literature should fit in the Bible is whether or not it's connected to an apostle. And the apostle was one who had been with Jesus. So if that's the definition for an apostle, please just call me pastor. Is that all right? Please call Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh. All right. We don't need any bigger titles than that. Is that OK? All right. Are we, is that OK so far? OK. And that doesn't mean we're trying to talk, talk you know, negatively about somebody who refers to themselves as, as an apostle. It just means they're not using the definition that the historical church has used for 2,000 years. Where was I going? Oh, we're reading the Bible. That's where we're going. Okay. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right, and to the fellowship. Aren't we fellowshipping today? Right? Isn't it, isn't it good to see somebody and say, you know, God bless you. Great to see you. How you doing? How's everything going? Right? Um, uh, isn't it good to just check in with one another, to fellowship, to smile? Right? So we're enjoying fellowship. It says, to the breaking of bread. Well, here's the first bread that I broke this morning. My eight-year-old runs up to me. He's got a Ziploc bag. I, he, by the way, uh, he spent the night at Papa and Peepa's house last night. And so I was, you know, Dre and I got a little date night last night. It was awesome. Shout out to uh, the families and parents. You guys try to do a date night every once in a while. We had a good time. So we came this morning, showed up. Joseph runs up to me. He's got his Ziploc bag, and, uh, and it's got, like, chocolate inside it. 
I'm like, all right, what's going on here? And, and he just starts like firing away. I'm okay, dad, here you go. This is a called a waffle cake. And uh, um, this one's for you. So he pulls it out, sets it up on, an, on a napkin for me and then runs off. So my first experience breaking bread this morning was with my son um, who thoughtfully brought me his own invention that he made at home, apparently this morning, and it was delicious. I was a little nervous at first because it looked like Play-Doh, but it wasn't Play-Doh, it was good. And, I, and I, threw that, I threw it down with my coffee. So I broke bread this morning. We fellowshiped. We're studying the word of God. We're doing exactly what Acts chapter 42 has told us to do. Have we prayed this morning? Are we continuing to pray? So look at Acts chapter 42 being fulfilled even today. Right? So in other words, what happens here is not by accident, but it's because we're following a biblical precedent for what God has encouraged us to do for a really long time. Okay? So I'm going to just start there from the New Testament church, and I'm going to backtrack now all the way to the Old Testament. We're not going to read a whole bunch of the passages. Don't worry. I'm just going to kind of fire away. So hang with me. Is that all right? So first of all, as we go back to the Old Testament, or what some refer to as the First Testament, um, we find that the first community that belonged to God, a church-like gathering, wouldn't have necessarily been in a place of worship, but was essentially the entire people of Israel who followed God together as a community. So in other words, there wasn't as, uh, as distinct of a separation for the, for the original people of God between government and church and public and civic life. Everything was together under God. So how they, how they, did, uh, how they did the courts, how they did worship, how they did raising your children were all meshed together in one thing that meant one people under God. So this was the original church, if you will, was an entire people called Israel, who, uh, who were looking to God as their, as their leader. Does that make sense? Over time, the worship system was developed. The book of Exodus uh, begins to teach us that. Leviticus definitely will teach us about the worship system, what it means to sacrifice, why you sacrifice, when you sacrifice, how you sacrifice, who gets to sacrifice. And the sacrificial system was put into place I would say, in my opinion, my theological opinion, is to demonstrate to us the value of what it takes for God to make sinners righteous again. How many of us know it's not cheap for God to turn sinners into righteous people? Jesus himself became the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his entire life so his precious blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sin and realignment with God. So in other words, it it ain't cheap to pay for sin. So I think that's what Leviticus ultimately is teaching us in the Old Testament when it starts getting into how many bulls need to be sacrificed and how many lambs and rams is essentially reminding us that our sin is costly. And who does it cost? It costs everybody, right? How many of us know you can't sin and that sin not have an impact on other people, right? There's a ripple effect of that sin. And we believe here that God not only forgives us of our own personal sin that we've committed, but the grace of God is so powerful that even the sin that you, didn't belong to you but somehow got poured onto you because of your experiences in your life can be covered by the blood of Jesus at the cross. In other words, if you have been taken advantage of 
by someone in your past, abused by somebody in your past, and their sin has drastically altered your life, guess what? God has the ability to, to redeem, restore, and work in you. So even though it's not your sin particularly, it's the sin that was put onto you, God can restore you even in the midst of all that other stuff going on. That's the beauty of, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, so the, the people of God, the first church, if you will, wasn't even a church. It was an entire people. And then we, we, we were introduced to a worship system um, that would take place in something called, uh, initially it was the tabernacle. Then once Israel crossed over into the promised land, later on, David wanted to establish a temple. He wasn't able to, but he was able to set up his son, Solomon, to actually build the temple. So the temple was a fixed place, and that was big for the people because when they were wanderers, they had to put their, their temple on wheels. They had a mobile temple, right? Um, and then once they established in the promised land, they built a permanent structure there, okay? Then something took place in the history of Israel where they were, uh, they were defeated in battle, uh, first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians, and Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. Many of them were taken into captivity to have to go leave and be slaves in exile. They were dispersed from that place. The fancy word for that time period when all the Jews had to leave that region is called the diaspora, essentially because they were dispersed into every different region. So what happened? The temple that they were used to going to was no longer available. So they had to establish satellite communities of worship which were called synagogues. Somebody say synagogue. Synagogue, synagogue uh, which essentially means people together or a gathering. So synagogues were a, a, a kind of a interim, temporary replacement of the temple experience. So they had to establish many communities wherever it is that they were. But I want you to just track with me to kind of see the development of the church. Are you with me or is this too much for you this morning? Are we okay? All right, hang with me, hang with me. It's a lot of history, um, but it's fun, right? Because it teaches us why we do what we do, right? This, this, this experience, this community that we have didn't come out of thin air. It wasn't Pastor Isaacs or Pastor Josh or, or even my grandparents' idea. This is something that has been established for a really long time. And so here's the beauty of how God works. And we could take these uh, analogies and apply them to your own life individually as a family and as a community, but, but this problem that they had, this challenge that they had, they were removed from their own city. They were from Jerusalem. They were removed from their own church, the temple. They were removed from their own jobs. They were removed from their own comforts. They were removed from what they had come to know and be accustomed to, and they were forced to now live in these various places. Guess what? It forced them to have to learn new languages. It forced them to have to be around new cultures. And so they established these synagogues, and the synagogues were then areas where they were able to translate their faith into different languages and be right next to different cultures. And it, 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 later on, as we read in Acts chapter 2 just a little while ago at the day of Pentecost, what happened at that moment? At that moment, when the believers were baptized with the Holy Spirit, it says that everybody who came to that moment was able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language. So in other words, what had started as a challenge 
being that they, they were forced to leave what was comfortable and familiar to them, ended up being an opportunity for Jesus to be known by people all over the world. So in other words, your problem and your challenge that you're facing right now, uh, if we look hard enough and if we pray hard enough and if we trust enough in what God is doing in that moment can actually become a source of blessing for you and for others as long as we're faithful to God in the middle of the challenge that we're facing. God can turn it around. Somebody say, God can turn it around. Haven't you experienced that in your life? I know I have in mine. It's, it's been those challenging moments that have been most definitive in, in, in reshaping a trajectory from that point forward. They've been landmarks. They've been moments to look back to describe God's faithfulness in a particular way, using particular language connected to a particular challenge that we've experienced. Same thing with the people of God. So this challenge of having to leave ended up becoming a blessing because now the gospel of Jesus Christ was being translated, right? People could actually interact with the people of God, which was a blessing. So when they came back together, finally, we, we called this project the Nehemiah Project. What does that mean? Nehemiah was part of the group of people that helped to come and rebuild the city again, right? A s excitement, man, after 70 years of being vacated, after 70 years of being in ruins, the people of God are coming back. And I, I don't know about you, but I like to imagine the excitement that was being generated from the people as they heard that somebody had plans to rebuild Jerusalem again. Hallelujah. Hey, did you hear they're going to rebuild Jerusalem? Oh, yeah, yeah. Who owes oh, that one guy? Nehemiah. Yeah, yeah. And Ezra, they've been talking about it. Yeah, what are the plans? Have you seen the email? Yeah, I'll forward it to you. Right? Check out the attachment. It's got the vision of how we're going to rebuild the city. It's going to be great. And so there's excitement, right, about this return of coming back. And so once they did return, they didn't do away with the synagogue system because they couldn't. Because not everybody came back to Jerusalem. But there were those who came back and those who stayed where they were. And now what does that mean? That means God's word was now dispersed in ways that it wasn't before. How many of us know that in order for us to be consistent with God's plan for our lives, we have to be ready for some level of discomfort? Right? Because what happens when we get comfortable? We just, we just find a nice lounge chair, right? Hang out, find some shade. And all of a sudden now, the blessing that God wants to flow through us into the various places that God send us, it gets, it gets stopped up, it gets dammed up because of our level of comfort. But when God pushes us a little bit beyond our comfort zone is where we have opportunities to be in line with God's plan for how he wants to use us to be a blessing to our community and to the world. All right, so, so is that okay as far as a biblical foundation for what it means to be a people of God to come together as a worshiping community? Is everybody tracking so far? We've looked at Acts. Okay, we've looked a little bit at the Old Testament worship uh, system, the Old Testament worship framework. Okay, and then we've talked about exile and then return from exile. And so now I want to transition in the time that we have left this morning, into talking about some practical applications, some, 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 some reasons as to why it's significant for us as the people of God to continue as a body together, uh, especially in person, as long as we're able to, okay? And, and I emphasize as long as we're able to, because I know there are still some folks who uh, it would be wise for them to, to, to hang back. Um, but once we're able to, it's important to return, you can't get this online forever and ever. 
okay? Nobody's gonna reach their hand through a screen with anointing oil, pray over your, 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 your situation through a screen and then pull their hand back. If you have a computer that does that, let me know because we could start a business, okay? But until that happens, there's, there's just nothing like being able to come together where we as, as one people can fellowship, where we can sing together and worship, where we can encourage one another, where we can have small talk before and after service, right? Where we could learn what it means to be a community that's not just looking out for what is it that I can get out of this, but how can I be a blessing as well? So let me just give a few more points. Is that all right? And then, and then we, will, we will call it for today. Um, so the, the first thing that I want to share, why is it important and, and, and what is the good of gathering together as the people of God? Uh, number one is this. Uh, when we gather together, we're gathering in obedience to the word, will, and presence of God. We're gathering in obedience to the word, will, and presence of God. God, okay? And I want to emphasize that as our primary point because I think somebody might say, well, I go to church because it makes me a better person. Or I go to church because it makes me feel a little bit better about the issues that I'm dealing with, right? Or I go to church because it gives me good advice as to how I should raise my family. And don't get me wrong, all of those reasons are good. We're going to cover some of those, okay? But the reason why we come together is because God is God. Jesus is Lord. He's Savior and Lord. He's the King of Kings. Uh, let's put it in more uh, practical language. He's the boss. He's in charge. He's the captain, right? Uh, uh, he, he is the one that we take our cues from. So the first, the first uh, reason isn't, isn't, doesn't have to do with something that I benefit from. The first reason is because he's in charge. Does that make sense? So we come together out of obedience to the word, will, and presence of God. Sometimes that makes me feel even more uncomfortable. Sometimes that impinges on my plans even more. But if Jesus is Lord, then I say, yes, Lord, have your way. If Jesus is, is um, if he works for me and I'm boss, right, then I'll have a hard time with that. And I'll say, I don't know about that, Jesus. That doesn't fit in my plans. Jesus, can you, can you adapt what you just told me, because I don't like the way you submitted it to me. And then, and then if Jesus were our employee, he would say, sure, no problem. Let me fix it for you and, and make it so that you, you like it a little bit more. But the thing about it is, Jesus isn't our employee. We work for Jesus, right? So that means when we gather together, it's out of obedience to the word, will, and presence of God, whether we like it or not. Somebody say whether we like it or not. Okay, and, and, and that's just... The bottom line, okay? That's the bottom line. Obedience to the word, will, and presence of God. In fact, we have a scripture that says, don't neglect coming together as the people of God. And so we come together out of obedience to the word of God. The second reason why we come together is significant for us as the church is because in this context and in this community, we receive healing and restoration, James chapter 5, verses 14 and through 16 says, If anybody is sick among you, let the elders come and lay hands and pray over them. In other words, what we find here is, is that in this context and community, we receive physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing, right? We receive restoration in this setting when we come together. And that's why when we come, we always feel like God's doing something that's aligning us with who God wants us to be. 
We come in as broken. We leave as coming, being put back together. Whole people by the grace of God. Perfect people? No. Whole people? Yes. By the grace of God. Right? We come missing some things. Jesus puts in there what we were missing. We come carrying some things we shouldn't be holding on to. Jesus helps us take those things off, prunes those off of our life. And so we become uh, healed and whole. Amen? And, and how does that happen in this setting better than in various settings? I believe that happens because God's intention was not for us to be floating satellites of individuals trying to discern God's will, but we do that together as a body of Christ, right? We pray with one another. Man, you lifting up your voice in worship is a blessing, whether or not you think you're singing on key to the person next to you, right? Your children coming together, being raised in the same church as my children, that's a blessing, Right? I think of Nena and, and so many others that I grew up with that we get to still serve with together in ministry. How, how, how awesome is it that we got the chance to sit in Sunday school together and we were in Missionettes and Royal Rangers and the Teen Center, the Youth Group, the Rock. Right? How awesome is it that we were able to be in fellowship and community together Right? growing up, going through all the different things that you grow, go through as a kid. But what did I have? A fellowship, a body, a community of people my age, of people older than me, of people twice, three times, four times older than me that were praying for me, that were encouraging me. And what, did I turn out perfect? No, but I am blessed because I've been part of a fantastic community of the people of God. With the same phone number for over 40 years. Consistency, isn't that important? So healing and restoration. Number three, encouragement. Raise your hand if you've ever been encouraged by being part of anything that Mission Ebenezer has put together. Let's see. All right, I see a lot of hands out there. Encouragement, okay? Why? Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with? That doesn't mean you gotta show up with a turkey and mashed potatoes. Enter his gates with thanksgiving means we come in and, and the posture of our heart has already been challenged, right? And the cool thing is we even have physical gates at this house. So if you've been having a bad week or even a bad Sunday morning, when you come through those gates, try to remember Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart, right? What does that mean? Everybody's got something to be thankful for. And in fact, most of us got some things to be thankful for. We got a whole lot more than we could count. It says, enter his presence, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Amen. See, here's the thing. Some people think you need to have a certain number of things aligned in your life to be in a, to be in a proper disposition to praise. Like you, you, you think, oh man, it's got, these things got to be lined up and, and you know, my, my, my mood has got to be right and, I, you know, all of these different things. As long as I didn't have, you know, a major issue, no water leaks at the house, no flat tires, you know, uh, as long as all these things are going good, my health is pretty good, then I am ready to praise the Lord, right? And what I would say, it's the other way around. We praise, especially when, all those other things aren't lined up the way that they should to be, right? We praise even when, even if all those things haven't lined up. We say, God, we thank you because you're a good God. 
Lord, you are faithful. Even in the midst of, man, today, uh, I got so many things going on in my life. I can't even count them. The burden is so heavy. But I'm reminded that you're a God who carries burdens. And you're a God who doesn't let people carry them on their own. And so I thank you, Lord, that in the middle of my burden carrying, you're a a burden-helping God or burden-removing God. Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of the, the pipe leak that I had, that it wasn't three leaks. And they found the one leak, and we got, it, we got it resolved. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Right? Thank you, Lord, that when I got that flat tire, it wasn't two of them. Right? I just had that one tire. Thank you, Lord. They were all bald, but only one popped. Thank you for your grace. <laughs> Should have had them changed three years ago. But pandemic, you know, I figured I had some more time because I hadn't been driving. Okay. Right? You'd be testing God. Okay, church. <laughs> Encouragement. Enter his gates with? Come on. Enter his gates with? And into his courts with? Man, and that's encouraging. Why? Because you hear somebody next to you doing that, knowing that they're going through more than you're going through. Right? They're battling cancer, and their hands are both lifted up in the air, thanking Jesus for his goodness, and you got a cough, and you're asking God why, why you know, whether or not he exists. Okay? Are, 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 are we tracking? So we are encouraged by the collective resilience, strength, love, passion, commitment of the church, and you get to walk away with it because it's contagious, even more than COVID. The love of God is more contagious, right? The power of God is more contagious. The strength of God is more contagious. And you go, man, if, if, if Mama Kathy could go through that, and still be right there on Sunday morning before the youngsters, then I can go through what I'm going through and still praise Jesus, right? If Brother Manuel could go through it at 90 plus years of age and still be right there thanking the Lord no matter what he's going through, then we could do it, right? And like Papa Frank Cisneros used to say, Papa Frank, how you feeling? Walking into church with two canes. I don't even know how that's possible. Got to his own chair right there next to the sound booth so he could be close to his son, right? Frank who's running our sound. And, and I would go up to Papa Frank with both of his hearing aids in, right? So say it loud enough so he could hear me. Papa Frank, how you feeling today? I'm alive. So I guess I'm doing pretty good. That's a, that's a, that's a response. I walk away from that. With whatever problem I had that day, all of a sudden just vanished like a vapor when I hear Papa Frank tell me I'm alive, so I guess I'm doing pretty good. I'm like, well, in that case, I'm doing great. <laughs> you just redefined my day for me, Papa Frank. Thank you. How many of us know we're encouraged in the people of God? Right? Amen? And it ain't fake. It's real. Because the joy of the Lord is real. The power of God is real. Right? The Holy Spirit is real. It ain't made up. Right? Somebody say, oh, yeah, that's all fake. Okay, cool. Fine. Keep doing what you're doing, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Right? Okay. Next one. So we've done obedience, healing, encouragement. Next one is purpose. Somebody say purpose. Purpose. Man, there's a lot of people right now that I've been noticing that are having a hard time with life because they seem to be grappling with why they even get breath in their lungs, why they get to have a life, what they're supposed to do with that life, right? Is it to, 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 to work and come home and watch TV and then work and come home and watch TV and then work and come home and watch TV? Or does God have a bigger purpose in our life? Has he called us to to do something? Has he called us to be somewhere? 
Has he called us to transform something? Has he called us to take something that was broken and help try to make, make it fixed in the name of Jesus? Has he, has he called us to enter into a school, not just so that we could collect a paycheck, but so that young lives can be transformed and all of a sudden people who come from a one parent or no parent home all of a sudden don't realize it, but their teacher's praying for them and loving them and now they understand that they have a purpose because that person had a purpose every time they stepped in that classroom. When we're part of the body of Christ, God is training us as to what purpose we have and how we're to live out that purpose, right? That means, that's exciting. Isn't it lame when, when you have a, a day or a week and, and, you have, and maybe, maybe you have no idea what the purpose is of that time? But isn't it exciting when you know exactly what you're connected to and how what you're doing is connected to a larger goal? Well, guess what? God has a big goal. And the goal is he's doing something in us so that the world can be transformed for Christ. He's doing that in us. So he's got purpose. Okay, next one, accountability. I'm not going to go deep, but somebody say accountability. accountability. It's hard to be accountable on Facebook Live. Okay, because I never heard nobody say, hey, man, you know what? I've been noticing you haven't been commenting as much on Facebook Live. Right? I, you, haven't, you haven't been hitting the heart button as much. So I don't know how you're doing in your spiritual life, right? Because I noticed that I haven't seen any smiley face emojis from you recently, okay? Essentially, what that means is accountability is the process whereby we are being held to account for what we said we were trying to do, okay? So if we say we want to be faithful Christians, okay, accountability means how is it that we have systems in place to make sure that by this time next year, we've gone deeper in our walk with Jesus, or do we have no systems in place to where if we decided to fall off the wagon, there's nobody there to give us a phone call, a text message, pray for us, visit us, drive by the house, check in. How you doing? What's going on? I haven't seen you. Something must be happening. How can I help you carry the burdens in your life? It's really difficult for that to happen on YouTube. Just saying. So accountability is important because it goes back to that first thing we talked about, which is obedience. Everybody with me? Okay. Next one is community and fellowship. We've been hitting that one hard. I'm going to run right through that one. And the last one is this, being filled and baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? There's something, there, there's, trust me, there's beautiful moments individually on your own, beautiful worship moments, beautiful prayer moments. Please dive in, dig in, enjoy and, and experience those individual moments of life transformation. But there's nothing more powerful than when you're in a place in your life where you are ready to go to that next level with God and you step forward and a brother or a sister in Christ is right there to put their hand on your shoulder or on your head to pray with you, maybe praying in tongues in the spiritual language and to release something into you and over you that you cannot manufacture on your own. There's something beautiful about this coming together as the body of Christ and having that combined experience where we are allowing ourselves to be taken to another level in our walk with Jesus. That often happens, Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered. Amen? So I know that was a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. But the good thing is, is it's online, so you can go back and watch it again if you need to. All right? We are the church. God has called us to be a community together, and we have very particular reasons as to why and how that comes together for us. All that to say, we are very thankful for the faithfulness of God in supplying our need 
to keep this house and these doors open for all these years so that the plans of God can continue forward, not just for this generation, but for the next until Jesus comes back. Amen? Amen. Amen.